Turn to Psalms 119. One nineteen verse thirty three. I'm still not convinced this is what it is, so bear with me. Psalm one nineteen, verse thirty three through forty. Teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline mine heart to your testimonies, and turn not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, And give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. I want to pray real quick and then we'll we'll begin. Lord, I ask for your guidance and your strength today. Lord, that you would bless, at a minimum, the reading of your word and apply it to our hearts. Lord, that you would give us liberty to love and to serve you, that we might seek you in all that we do. Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us in the way that we should go. Lord, that you would give us a peace and a hope. Lord, I pray that you would give us instruction and wisdom. Lord, help us to listen to what it is that you have to say and to do it and to follow it and to thank you for the many blessings that you've given us and you have given us many as we've heard this morning. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of these things and ask you to be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. I read this section a few days ago and it just struck me and I continued to read it and read it and reread it. We'll see what we can make of it today. I don't know that I've ever preached at a Psalm 119. There's certainly lots of verses to choose from there. But for some reason, these seemed particularly interesting to me. Perhaps it's the way it is structured. It's a uh, repeated statement and then a follow-up. So the first verse there in 33 says, Teach me, O Lord. And what does it want you to teach? Well, your ways. And then it says that I will keep them to the end. And then next it says, give me understanding. Then it says, lead me. And then it says, incline my heart. And then it says, turn my eyes. And then it says, confirm. Then turn away reproach that I dread. And then lastly, behold. And so I think this is trying to give us some insight into here, into what we should do, a prayer, a desire for our own lives, something that we should reach for. Of course, we know that most, if not all, of the Scripture gives us these things. We can turn nearly to any page and find instruction for how we are to live our lives and how we are to think about things. The Bible gives us a wisdom that's not wisdom of this world. It gives us a wisdom that is of the Spirit. So there's an entirely different 
thing that we think about with one, we can learn all kinds of facts and wisdom and knowledge about certain things, but knowing the wisdom of the Lord is entirely different. You cannot get that just from a simple textbook. You cannot get that just from the things the world wants to give you. But to truly, as this says here, to be under, to understand what God wants to give us, to be led in his way means we have to incline our hearts and turn our eyes to him so that he can in fact teach us. It goes beyond what I'm able to do, beyond what your Sunday school teacher is able to do, beyond what a parent or someone you know is able to do. And it goes down to the very depth of who, in fact, God is. And he is, in fact, everything supreme in authority over us. And so we must look to him to be the one who teaches us. And so we see in this psalm, it says, teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes. Now, these are things we don't always want to know, right? The rules and guidelines for us to live. Because when we know the rules and the guidelines, then we have to do what? We have to follow them. But the advantage of knowing the rules and the guidelines is the fact that we can follow them, even if imperfectly, and the fact that by obeying, obeying, excuse me, his guidelines and the things that he teaches us, we can, in fact, grow closer to a relationship with him, which is, in fact, the goal. If it wasn't the goal... Then, as I pointed out before, the moment we're saved, we could have been taken to heaven. But we are left here, left here with a restored relationship with him. That is the reason that we are here. And he came, in fact, to restore that. All you have to do is go back to the very beginning in Genesis and look at the care and the love and the relationship that he had. He talked and walked with Adam and Eve. Every day it seems to set the precedent that he would come and he would talk with them. He wanted that relationship with those that he created. And sin came into this world and caused that division so that we could no longer have that relationship with him. And thus we have to be taught how to do that again. Because it was broken, because it was violated, because we are born into sin, because we continue to sin even after that, we have to be taught the ways of the Lord so that we can commune and walk with Him. And that is His ultimate desire, and it should be our ultimate desire. So that we will keep it to the end, or other translations might say, and we will keep it as my reward. Now, if that's the right interpretation... I kind of favor that one because the reality is if we, if we listen to what he wants to teach and we walk in his ways, it's not something that's burdensome. It's not a don't do this. Don't do this. In fact, it is a reward to walk according to what he wants of us. It is our reward. Why is it The reward, because it is good for us, because he is God, because he knows all things, because he knows what is good and right and proper for us, and he knows what is harmful for us. He is begging us and sent his son to die for us that we would walk according to the statutes that he has given, because it is better for us to do that than to walk in our own way. But over and over and over again, I want to do it my way. I think somehow that I know better than God. 
And while that sounds absolutely crazy when I say it, the reality is I live functionally much of my life with that attitude. And my guess is you do too. Well, I'm going to make the decision. I'm going to choose to go here. I'm going to choose to do this. I'm going to choose to say this. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you'll notice that every phrase starts with I, 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 instead of teach me, teach me, teach me. Teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end, or I will keep it as my reward. See, to know what he wants us to do is the greatest reward there possibly is. Because he is all that there is. He made everything. And I pray that maybe we would all begin to realize how foolish it is that we somehow try and take over control. Verse 34 continues, it says, Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. You see, this is the second part. It's not good enough just that we know, but we should understand. Now, maybe some of you are not logical to a fault like I am, but it really helps to understand, doesn't it? Now, we don't always get to understand. We don't always get to know the end from the beginning. We're not always told why we have to do this certain thing or why we should refrain from doing this certain thing. And let me just elevate our minds. I'm not just talking about something that's sinful here. Give me understanding. I shared with you last week just a small portion of some testimony of things that have happened in my life. I knew somehow it was time for us to leave Louisville, but I didn't really understand. I knew that the week we were leaving, I was offered a different job. And I turned it down. And they go, maybe that doesn't matter. I was given a school. Sayers Classical Academy in Louisville. The current founder and headmaster came to me and she said, I'd like you to be the next one. And I said, no. I didn't know why. And I came down here, and honestly, I kind of struggled with that for a couple of years, and I wondered if I'd made a mistake. Maybe, maybe I should have done that. I certainly feel like, with God's help, I had the ability to lead in that fashion and to help a small Christian school. But it wasn't until 2018 that I came here that I understood, you see. There was something different. Was it better? I don't know, and I never will. But I know that if I'm doing what God wants me to do, then it is in fact right. And he will lead us, and someday we will understand. Sometimes we get to know that now, and other times we may not get to understand until, well, it's all over. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe with it. Here's the thing. Regardless of whether you get understanding about a, search, a certain situation or about a certain circumstance, we still have to follow. 
Teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. You may never be satisfied with the full level of understanding, but I don't think it's wrong to ask God to give you just enough understanding to be satisfied. That's what keeps us in faith. I guess I'm allowed to have favorites, sermons that is. I remember a few years ago, I I preached a sermon that I was particularly fond of called Follow the Clouds. I don't expect you to remember that, but if in fact you do or don't, I'll quickly remind you. The Israelites were freed from bondage in Egypt, and they set out on the road not knowing where they were going. At least most of the people who were following didn't know where they were going. They knew they were going to a promised land. And during that journey for 40 years... They were led by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. And no one knew how long the cloud was going to stay there. So we're talking a million plus people who would move whenever the Lord moved the cloud or moved the fire. And they would travel until it settled and they would set up everything in their camp, all their households. They didn't just like hook up an RV. This was a big deal. You have a city of a million or more people, you move around in a desert, that takes some work. And so they would move from place, and they'd stay there for a couple days, a couple weeks, six months, a year, and they would move again. And they never knew how and when they were supposed to move. What they had to do was to trust and learn to trust God in everything, whether they had a full understanding or not. Sometimes they get to stay for a while, and sometimes they have to move pretty quickly. Wouldn't that be frustrating? But it's never frustrating if you're following after God. If you're observing His law, if you're following Him with your whole heart, then all the understanding you need is God is moving me here, and I'm okay with it. God is moving me here, and I don't understand, but I'm okay with it. Verse 35 says this, Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Lead me. Again, going back to teaching and giving understanding, do you let God lead you, or are you the one trying to tell him what to do? Do you delight in his leadership? Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. This is where it gets really hard for me. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Well, what selfish gain? Boy, I could justify that all day long, couldn't you? Well, that's not selfish. I have to have this. I have to have this job. I have to do this. I have to be here. Do I? I'm not saying all of it can't be done. But boy, do we not incline our hearts very closely sometimes to his testimony. And instead, we incline our hearts to our selfish gain, whatever it is that we want. It says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Worthless things. Depending on your translation, it might say vanity. You can read in Ecclesiastes all about vanities. 
All those things, all the worldly things, all the things that are meaningless, all the things that distract us, all the things that take our priorities away from the one thing that should be, he is asking here of the Lord, turn my eyes, keep me from looking at worthless, vain, useless things, and instead let me look to you. Give me life in your ways. Again, there are numerous examples of this all through the scriptures. We can look to numerous examples of our own selves. You know, many years ago, I would have talked about how we put blinders on a horse. Nobody understands that anymore. So let me just put it this way. For all of us who drive, you ever noticed what happens when you're using your phone while you drive? Well, if you hold it in your right hand, you start to go which direction? Toward the right, because you're looking that way. Even a little bit. Hold it in your left hand, do the same thing. Hold it down your lap, start slowing down. It's illegal, by the way. (laughs) Here's the point. Where it is that we look and we focus with our eyes is the direction that we go. We are a predominantly oriented creature toward vision. Others, it's sound. Others, it's taste. Others, it's smell. But for us as humans, our eyes are the lead of where it is that we go. And if you study other people's eyes and watch their eyes when you communicate, you will learn a lot about them. And when you just think about it, Subconsciously, you're evaluating everything. Think about how much we communicate with our eyes. Whether we squint them or they're big, or the pupils are dilated or pinpointed. Whether we look up and to the left or up and to the right. Now, whether that's line or not, it's a bunch of hokum, so don't believe that. But the point is, our eyes are expressive, and where we look is where we want to go. When I was in the academy, they taught us a thing called the Michigan straightaway. You had cones on either side of your car, and you had to get up to like 60 or 70 miles an hour within about half a mile. And the cones had about six inches on each side. And you could do that going forward pretty easily. You know what they always told us? Pick out the cone in the center of the road and don't look on either side. Because the moment you looked left or right, you would swerve your car. You had to look straight ahead and just go. Now, where this really came to light is when you went backwards. Because you did the same thing in reverse. And everybody who did it their first time messed that up. Everybody. Because you throw that car in reverse, and they tell you, look in your rearview mirror and stare at that single cone in the very back that's right in the middle of your lane and go toward it. Then you think, that can't be right. So you look to your left, you look to your right, next thing you know, you wipe out 60 cones just all over the road. You got to go pick them up and put them back. But when you could train yourself, don't look to the left, Don't look to the right. Focus on where I'm supposed to go. And when you only set your eyes on that, you would reach your goal at an incredibly fast speed with incredible precision. 
The point that I'm trying to make here is when it says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways, God has a way that he wants us to go. He has something that he is telling us to go toward. And rather than look to the left and look to the right and think I know my own way or get nervous about the direction that I'm going, I am instead to focus my eyes on where he wants me to go and to pursue that with everything that I have. And when I start looking left or right, even just a glance, I'm going to mess up. And the faster you go, the bigger the error. How many of you feel like your life is just speeding up and speeding up and speeding up? Okay, maybe it's just me. All the more reason to keep my eyes on him. When life seems out of control, I look at him. It's the times when I'm just kind of Sunday driving, you know, maybe I can glance to the left a little bit. But if you feel like your life is on a speed course and everything's coming at you faster than you can possibly handle, that is not the time to look to somebody else or look for help somewhere else, but to look unto the Lord, to keep your eyes focused on him, to turn your eyes from looking at worthless things and to give me life in your way. Your way is straight in front of me. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. What's that mean to be feared? Confirm to your servant your promise. God has given us a promise. He's given us many promises. He will never leave us or forsake us as one. If you've been saved by his grace, he will never leave you or forsake you. How far you may take your eyes off of the prize, how much you may not trust him, how little understanding you have, whether you let him lead you or not, he will never leave or forsake you. And you know what? I don't deserve that. None of us do. You think about the number of times that you have, if you want to call it this, messed up your relationship with God. And he still loves you. Confirm for your servant your promise that you may be feared. That we may have the appropriate awe-inspired reverence of who God is. That's the goal. To look unto him, to not keep our eyes to keep our eyes on him, to not let them go back and forth, and to confirm in us the promise that we may fear him, that we may have the proper reverence for him. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. This gives us good instruction for how we are to live. We want to be taught. We want to understand when possible. We want to be led in the path. We want to incline our hearts to his testimonies. We do not want to turn our eyes. We want to keep our eyes fixed on him so that he can confirm in us that we are his servants and his promises so that we can fully fear and give him the proper respect so that when doing all these things, we can turn away from the reproach, from the hard things, from the evil things that we don't want to do and keep our lives focused on him for good 
and that we can long for his precepts in his righteousness that will give us life. In the long run, I think many of us want that, don't we? To have life. We'll do anything to keep it. If you've ever seen somebody struggle for life, you'll agree with me. People will do some amazing things to try and stay alive. And we think it really tragic sometimes when they stop trying. There's one thing that's internal in us. It's our fight to live. Is that true for your spirit? You ever felt like you had a dead or a dying spirit? You had to fight for it to stay alive. Brothers and sisters, I think just as important as we might physically fight to save our lives, to stay alive, to take one more breath, to take one more step, for whatever reason, that thing inside of us that compels us to continue forward, trying to live, trying to do, let us do the same application to ourselves spiritually. When we are far from Him, may we ask to be taught. May we beg for understanding. May we ask for leading. May we incline our heart to Him. May we turn our eyes to Him and away from anything else so that we will have life. Because the only life worth living is in Him. We can build whatever life we think we want to have here, but if it's not in Him, then it's worthless. It's less than worthless. We must keep our eyes on Him. We must pursue Him and follow after Him in everything that we do. Or we've done exactly nothing. Let's pray.